the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry here with you once again. I believe this is a first for the show in that this week we have a CUSA head football coach joining us. Uh, he's the head coach of the Florida International University Panthers and the reigning Bahamas Bowl champs, Mr. Butch Davis. Thank you so much for making time for us today, sir. Well, it's great to be with you and uh, look forward to it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much once again. Um, but uh, just right off the top, uh, Eric gets to uh, chat with you on a pretty regular basis covering you guys down there. So uh, I think he won't be too mad if I if I jump in first with a couple no. of questions for you. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Thank you so much once again. So, Coach, in your time at FIU, you've been recruiting very well uh, in the opinion of you know us and some of the other experts that followed the CUSA football sphere. Yeah. Notably, that 2018 class was ranked number one in the league uh, by 247 Sports. As we get uh, prepared for the 2019 season here, what do, you th- uh, what do you expect out of some of the guys from that 2018 class this year now that they've had a little yeah. bit of time to get acclimated? Great question. Yeah, great question, Joe. Obviously, you know, when you come in as a head coach and you bring a whole new staff, you know, there's a cultural change, you know, not only from the X's and O's and the expectation and the way you practice and stuff. It clearly, you know, in college football, it's all about recruiting. I mean, uh, it's the lifeblood. You know, you've got to go out. you got to hustle. you got to bring in guys that, that are going to change, uh, you know, certainly the expectations within the program, but guys are going to grow and, and become good players. We inherited a few good players. Obviously, uh, Alex Magoo got drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, and Anthony went and went to the New York Jets. And we had a couple of guys, but you know, the last the last three recruiting classes. To be honest with you, what we've done is we've raised the bar of, of who we're going after. And I, in my staff, they hear this, they've heard this at Miami, they've heard it at North Carolina, and every place I've ever been. And it sounds stupid, but uh, you have absolutely zero chance of marrying Miss America unless you ask her out for a date. And that's kind of the way it is in recruiting, like go after the best players. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate at every place that I've been to be able to get some good players that have gone on and had phenomenal careers uh, in college and in the NFL. Uh, but, but you're going to get told no. I mean, there's going to be some kids that says, no, I don't want to be a part of that program or whatever the issues are and stuff like that. But you got to go after good players. And that's, you know, you, you referenced the fact that we were number one in Conference USA with the 2018. Uh, I think the 2017, you know, those kids are our rising juniors. They're the kids that, uh, you know, they were forced into playing in the first year. We, we won eight games, got to a bowl game and everything. And a lot of those kids, you know, were put in a situation that isn't ideal, to be honest with you. Freshmen to come in and you have to rely on them to either be starters or backups. And they got to play 40, 50, 60 percent of the, of the snaps. Well, then in 2018, it was not quite as pressurized. We still needed to fill in some gaps, and we had some kids that played, you know, pretty pretty significant roles for us. Uh, you know, in the 2019 class, maybe as talented as any of the three classes, uh, but now they're going to get a chance to grow and not and not put the stress and the pressure. I think that there's a lot of them. Uh, I think that there's a chance that our quarterback that we signed 
uh, from Tennessee. He was Mr. Tennessee in the state of football for the state of Tennessee and in Stone Norton. I think, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we're going to push the envelope for him. Uh, you know, we had some running backs and some wide receivers. Uh, there's some linebackers that we signed that I think they're going to find roles on special teams and hopefully maybe get into the depth and everything. But, uh, you know, we've really tried to change, you know, you know, who we're going after and not just settling for, well, who could you get? You know, I mean, you can go get anybody. I can sign 25 guys tomorrow, but can those 25 guys, can they go 13 and 0 and win the conference championship? And that's kind of the bar that we've kind of set for ourselves. That's great advice, really. And um, yeah, I, you're probably the first football coach I've uh, heard drop a beauty pageant reference so far, but uh, that's, that's, yeah. great, that's great advice. Uh, but uh, you mentioned yeah. the 2019 class, and I think one of the guys in that class that has people really excited is Mr. Stone Norton that you mentioned. Uh, what does he bring to sure. this program that you're really excited about? Well, I mean, you know, all the things, he checks the box. You know, when you're looking for a quarterback, you're looking not a, you know, they got to have skill. I mean, that, that in and of itself, the ability to throw, intelligence, guys that can, you know, can digest, you know, uh, your offensive scheme, your audibles, uh, the checks, and, and really control things, understand the protections. And he's had a great background in his high school and coaching. His high school coach played in the NFL for six or seven years, so his background there is outstanding. He also brings not only the ability to throw the football and stuff, but one of the things, once he committed to come to FIU, mm-hmm. uh, one thing that's really good about quarterbacks, you want, you'd like to have them to have leadership. And he became an under the, under the radar recruiter that every kid that we were going after, you know, he was emailing them, texting them, uh, you know, was on all the social medias talking to them. And, and so, you know, as every kid committed as you know, as we started getting like flex Joseph, the running back from, uh, Miami central and all these other guys, uh, Joe Hawker in Cincinnati, they, they, built their own little culture behind the scenes and then they all would reach out to other guys and and some of the guys you know that we we signed in january the kids that we signed in in december were working really hard on trying to convince those guys they'd be a part of this class and and uh you know so so that with with stone you like that uh, he's athletic he's a you know, he's played basketball plays baseball he's done a lot of sports and stuff and so uh, but you just, you know, you like his leadership. You like the way, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, his team, they won the state championship. They went 15 and 0, and you don't do that by accident. And, uh, uh, you know, so we're very excited about having him in the program. Fantastic. And you talk about some of the other kids in the last few recruiting classes that have come out of the Miami area. Coming into coming mm-hmm. up in uh, in November, you guys play the Miami Hurricanes at Marlins Park. What does it mean for you right. guys, particularly those local kids, uh, to get to play a team yeah. like the Hurricanes in that stadium specifically? Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's exciting for everybody. I mean, um, I actually worked was working for ESPN the last time that Marlins Park hosted a bowl game mm-hmm. and uh and it was electric i mean but it was packed to the rafters uh we anticipate somewhere between 42 and forty-five thousand seats being available and there won't be any i mean there'll be standing room only and there'll be probably five thousand people outside watching on the jumbotron so the atmosphere is going to be good it'll be electric uh you know for all of our fans all of our alums all of our kids parents and stuff obviously you know it'll 
be a, a great game just from the standpoint that it's going to be in our backyard, uh, that, uh, you know, FIU is kind of the university for Dade County. We've got uh, 57,000 students and, and uh, so a significant amount of kids that graduate from Dade and Broward County go to school at FIU. So, uh, you know, it's in our backyard and I think it's, a, I think it's a good thing for our program. And, uh, uh, you know, I think it'll be very, very exciting. Awesome. And obviously you can't really match the excitement and everything that goes into being a head football coach, but do you miss those ESPN days sometimes? You know what? I mean, I, I was very, very fortunate. I worked mm-hmm. with a lot of really, really good people and I got some good assignments, uh, you know, it was fun. You know, I, I did a lot of the studio stuff, but every now and then I got a chance to do, um, you know, go to Ole Miss, you know, go to some games on the road. I did all the playoff games and the national championship games the first couple of years. And, and, um, and, and probably one thing that actually truly actually helped me as a coach was, you know, the assignments that they give you on the like spring tour or the summer tour where you, go to Florida state one day and the next day you're at Auburn, the next day you're at Alabama, the next day you're at Nebraska and Iowa and you're all over the country. Mm-hmm. And as a former coach, I mean, you get a chance to see how other people skin the cat, you know, how to, how does, how does Iowa, how do they practice? Uh, how much scrimmage do they do? How much contact? What do they do? You know, schematically and, and stuff. And so, you know, it's great information because when you go back to the studio in that fall and you're covering Iowa playing Michigan State, you know, you've got insight because you've actually watched these kids practice and the coaches coach. But for me as a coach getting back into coaching, it was good to go and see, you know, how, you know, how other teams, how they do things. Uh, spend, you know, a day and a half with, with Nick Saban at Alabama and, and watching, you know, they were just coming off the, the year that they had lost. Uh, to Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M and then and getting a chance to watch their training camp and, and the tweets that they had made schematically, defensively, and the way in which they were going to practice against up-tempo offenses. And uh, they started practice those days. Uh, every single one, the very first day, the first 15 minutes after flexion stretches, we're going to, we're going to, you know, um, go against an up-tempo, whether it's a scout team or our own offense. And so that was good for me. It helped me, you know, be a better analyst on, on television, but certainly as a coach, it is paid dividends as well. Coach, kind of covering you guys from afar, I mean to get down to uh, the South Florida area a little bit more this year. And Eric and the rest of our staff knows I can't shut up about food. So if I got one night in the Miami area, where's the one place I need to go eat? Oh, my God. (laughs) There's only one. You go to Joe's Stone Crab. And uh, I mean, it is so unique that there's, I mean, there's, I mean, there's some phenomenal steakhouses. There's some great uh, sushi places and stuff like that, but there is no other Joe Stone Crab across America. I mean, even if they fly them in and they're on, on dry ice and stuff like that. I mean, it, I mean, it's been there for decades and decades. I'm, I'm going back to probably like the 1920s. Um, uh, everything on that menu is spectacular and, uh, and, uh, the maitre d's and the ownership and, and the people that work there. I mean, uh, every, every person that walks into that restaurant is treated like a king and it's first class service. Um, it's really, really good. I mean, I would, I would highly recommend anybody that visits, uh, the city of Miami. You've got to go to Joe Stone Crab. Oof, mouse watering already. You made it in there. And, tr- and, and one thing, make sure, yeah. make sure whoever you take, make them pick up the check. <laughs> Hear that, <laughs> they have to float along. <laughs> you're, you're picking up the check. Joe, Joe, I was going to say when Coach mentioned uh, Joe Stone Crab that, 
know, I don't know if uh, we're making enough to, <laughs> to, to go on a consistent basis. But I think if we if All we right. pull our resources together, we can go for one night. Yeah. But uh, I've been there you before. Guys, yeah, you guys, you guys come down and cover our game and and stuff like that. I'll take you over there and. Uh, and we'll have a good dinner together. Hey, all right. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Uh, coach, just a, for those of you listening at home, we've got FIU head coach Butch Davis with us on the Underdog Dynasty podcast. And uh, like I mentioned uh, off the top, um, since this season has ended, there's been some changes to your coaching staff. And it looked like right. your defensive coordinator, Everett Withers, was going to join you, but that appears to have changed. Um, could you just talk about some of the changes on staff heading into spring ball next season? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it, it. You know, it's always difficult at times to to make adjustments in your coaching staff, uh, and especially, you know, I mean, we we kind of treat and uh, our expectations with everybody that's on on our staff is they're like family. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, they're guys that have either been former players for me at at Miami or North Carolina or the Cleveland Browns and and those kinds of things. And so, you, I mean. Uh, but by the same token, you know, this is the tough thing about, you know, when you wear the hat as the head football coach, the ultimate responsibility is for the entire team and what's the most successful thing. And, uh, sometimes you have to make, you know, tough decisions that, uh, that whether it's, you know, whether it's in recruiting or whether it's in the actual coaching or it's the relationship with the kids and all those kinds of things, sometimes, uh, sometimes you have to make some changes, and uh, um, you know we we made some changes in the defensive side. That Canard uh, Lang, who played for me at the University of Miami, was a first round draft choice in the Washington Redskins. He eventually ended up actually playing for me at the Cleveland Browns, and uh, so I've known Canard since he was a sophomore in college, and and uh, you know he's got the the expertise. The other aspect of it is, is he was a highly successful high school coach after he got out of his NFL days in the Orlando area. So, you know, from that standpoint, you know, the, the opportunities to expand maybe our recruiting areas and strengthen some areas in the central part of the state, uh, you know, it was a good opportunity for us. Uh, my former quarterback at the University of North Carolina is Bryn Renner. And uh, uh, Bryn went on. He had a great finish his career at North Carolina. Got a chance to play for the Baltimore Ravens and the Denver Broncos. And and um, and then he has served for the last two years as our recruiting coordinator and director of player personnel. And I knew, you know, he wanted, you know, <clears throat> significantly to get on the field to be able to coach. And this is one of the things that I learned from Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy believed this, and Frank Bulls believed this. That if you're a, if you can coach. You could coach any position. I mean, uh, if you're a teacher and the kids respond to you and you motivate them and you excite them and, and stuff that, uh, you know, this is off the beaten path part of it. But Frank Bowles was one of the coaches that I played for. But one of his opinions was is if you coached for him for two years and, and you didn't get a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, head coaching job, he would flip your position, maybe make you coach the other side of the ball just so that you would expand. And he had guys, obviously, Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, Hayden Fry, I mean, the litany of people, Johnny Majors, and they would coach two different positions. And so, you know, I've asked Bryn to take over the corners position, and uh, he's done a great job in the last, just in the month, the relationship he's got with the kids. And, and uh, you know, if you're a quarterback, you know a heck of a lot about the secondary because you've had to pick them apart for most of your life. And uh, I use my own my own personal career, guys, as, as an example. I mean, for Jimmy Johnson at Oklahoma State, I coached the tight ends and the wide receivers. 
and uh, went to the University of Miami with Jimmy in 1984. And he said, you know, you're the only coach I'm going to take from Oklahoma State. And he said, but I'm going to need you to coach the defensive line. And uh, so for the next 11 years, I coached the defensive line at Miami and the Dallas Cowboys and stuff. And so, you know, if you can coach, I think you can coach. And we're, we're excited about what Glenn's going to bring to the, to the staff. And coach, with uh, the defensive coordinator opening, do you kind of have an idea? Not necessarily to tip your hand, so to speak, but do you kind of have an idea where you may yeah. go in terms of replacing no, the coach? Yeah. yeah, you know, because I thought, you know, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't even sure that Everett would be available. And, uh, you know, and it, and it was a good fit uh, because we have a previous working relationship and he brings some experience. He'd been a defense coordinator at Ohio State and he'd been with me at, at uh, North Carolina and stuff. Uh, I had had four or five people that were on the list of people that I was going to interview and going to uh, uh, to potentially bring in. And now, you know, now we're going to bring those guys in and uh, go through a regular interview process, uh, you know, like you'd normally do and, and see the fit and see where the, how they've grown and how they've developed. And, uh, and hopefully over the next, you know, three, four, five days, you know, hopefully we'll be able to uh, uh, come to a conclusion as to who's going to be the best fit, you know, for our program. To kind of piggyback uh, as far as the defense goes, you know, something that I've asked you in numerous post games, but I'm sure I've annoyed you enough with this question, but I'm going to run it by you one more time. It's, it's just sure. talking about the, the the run defense coach. You know, it was it was a struggle for a lot of last year. And, no, and something it was terrible. <laughs> and something yeah, struggle is kind is kind. <laughs> <laughs> something you said to me following the Marshall game really stuck with me, coach. You said that in the off season, you have to take a look at the way you defend against the run due to the fact that teams are really trying to spread you out defensively. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on just that overall yeah. feeling, because you know to give to give your your guys credit, uh, heading into the bowl game with three weeks to prepare. For, for my money, that was honestly FIU's best performance against the run all year in the, in the bowl game victory. Um, yeah. But, you know, overall, like I said, with the season, it was a struggle against the run. Mm-hmm. So just wonder if you could just elaborate on that quote a little bit. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Obviously, I mean, it was a little bit of a issue over the last two years. It wasn't necessarily 2018. There was times that it reared its head in 2017 that, you know, one week we'd hold somebody to – you know, 3.2 yards per carry and they'd rush for 145 yards. And then uh, two weeks later, we might give up over 200 yards, even if we were winning the game, uh, that it became a little bit of an issue. And, and, and I think some of it was consistency. Uh, some of it was, uh, the expectation and the performance of the front seven people. Uh, some of it is, you know, uh, you know, once once you get exposed in a particular way in which somebody exposes you, if you don't put that fire out almost immediately, you're going to see it week in and week out. And uh, and sometimes during the course of the 2018 season, that was one of the issues that uh, that some of the fires we never really ever put out. And uh, you know, some of it was coaching, some of it was players, some of it, and I, I take my responsibility that you know, with my defensive background of like you know, holding people responsible for, you know, just, you know, uh, gap controls, being in the right place and making the right adjustments during the course of the game with shifts and motions. Uh, people aren't static anymore, guys. I mean, you don't have, it doesn't take much to turn on any television game and you see 
what people would call 10 personnel, 11 personnel. There's very few people that are playing multiple tight ends and multiple backs, and, and it's a two- and three-yard cloud of dust, and they're trying to bloody your nose. Those days are, are pretty much forgotten. So, you know, you better be, you know, in situations, uh, you know, where you can make a, a great sideline adjustments at the end of almost every single position. If you wait till halftime, you're blown out. Uh, that you've got to fix it, you know, it may be a six-play, seven-eight-play drive, maybe hopefully you force a field goal or a punt, and then you get the guys on the sidelines, and you got to coach them up and say, look, guys, they haven't shown this formation, they haven't showed this motion, they haven't shown this, uh, you know, the way in which they're using the people. Here's the adjustment that we've got to make, and we, you can't, you can, like I said, you can't wait two, three, four possessions into the game because, you may be down 21 to nothing before you get a chance to get things fixed. And so, you know, some of it is, some of it is inexperience with our kids. I mean, I'll be honest with you. And from that standpoint, uh, we had to replace eight starters on defense from the 2017 team to the 2018. Well, we've got a significant amount of those guys back. So they've got game experience. They've got, you know, they, they should be more, uh, available to be able to make sideline adjustments and you can tweak this and, 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 and get feedback. A lot of the things, and people don't understand this, but I can tell you from being on the sidelines in the NFL and, and being a head coach or a coordinator or whatever, a lot of the greatest adjustments come from your kids. They come to the sidelines and they tell you about splits and they tell you about formations and, and pre-snap reads and stuff like that that sometimes you don't need to junk you know, a, a portion of your game plan because one guy got, he got reached and they reached the three technique and it was a 19 yard run. All you got to do is just tell the nine, the three technique, once you, once you widen your alignment by, by 10 inches and put that fire out, you don't have to scrap anything in the game plan. So some of it is the experience of your kids being able to give you information back. It's, it's just a lot of things. This will be a, a very important spring practice for us growth and development now going into year three that we should have a core of players on both sides of the ball that, you know, we should be able to be a little bit more football intelligent. And for those who are listening, I'm just for a point of reference, FIU was 12th in Conference USA in terms of run defense and 92nd in all of FBS football. But to transition uh, away from the defense and transition to the offensive side of the football for a few years, sure. uh, just wonder if you could talk about James Morgan. You won Conference yep. USA's newcomer of the year. Heading into year two, what uh, some listeners may not know, for those of us who are around the program, we know this, that James only really had about a dozen practices before getting the start against Indiana. Uh, so yep. what, can be the dif- what can be the difference with with a full off season under his belt. Oh. And also to piggyback off of that, uh, another thing that you've made heavy emphasis of since the Gatswilla Bowl is having two quarterbacks you can be ready to go. So yep. you lost um, Christian Alexander in the off season and who do you expect right. between Caleb Lynham and Kalen Wiggins in order to uh, take number two spot? True. Yeah, no, I mean, again, great questions. Uh, James Morgan was probably the most significant difference in our ability to win nine games, even though Christian won the bowl game for us. Uh, you know, and like you said, you know, James is a, a graduate transfer from Bowling Green. Uh, he brought with him super work ethic, uh, a lot of talent. He's got the ability. I mean, he's going to throw on Sunday. This is a young man that I think has got a chance to, to play in the National Football League. He had been in big games at Bowling Green. They played against Big Ten schools. Uh, he almost pulled off an upset at Bowling Green against Michigan State. And, and so he brought that, you know, that, 
that confidence and that you know work ethic and stuff that was contagious with the rest of our op- rest of our offensive players. They saw, I mean, an amazing amount of film study that he, he did, uh, trying to cram learning our offense. And like you said, I mean, about three weeks of preseason training camp in August, and then all of a sudden you're playing a Big Ten team in Indiana. And uh, but as the season went on, he got better and better and better and. And, and you know, understood the offense and and um, the ability to get us in and out of bad plays, get us into good plays. Uh, you know, I mean, his decision making was extremely good. He was explosive. You already referenced the fact that he was the newcomer of the year in Conference USA, and and it's great having him back. Um, you know, we we learned a hard lesson in 2017 that Alex Magoo, that got drafted in the seventh round by the Seattle Seahawks as a quarterback. Uh, breaks his collarbone the second play of the game in the bowl game. And we were completely unprepared, even though you practice your backup quarterback. I mean, um, you know, he didn't play many opportunities because we never were in situations where the game was a blowout, where you could say, okay, your backup gets, you know, to play the third and the fourth quarter, maybe three or four or five games in the last six, seven minutes of another three or four games. Most of our games came down to the wire to try to win those games and in the, in the last two or three minutes. So, unfortunately, our second-team quarterback, but we made a decision. We said, you know, we're going to play our backup quarterback, and we did. Uh, Kirsten Alexander, who was the backup, played in nine games for us last year. And uh, and I think, obviously, the benefit of that was very evident uh, in the bowl game when he had to be the starter after – after James got hurt in the last game of the season against Marshall, uh, he'd been in nine games. You know, he'd been he'd been in practices. He'd taken reps with the first team offense even during the course of the week of every single one of the weeks. And so there was a level of confidence with the players that hey, he's going to come in there. Um, you know, the next question that you ask is who is it going to be Caleb Lynham or or Kaylin Wiggins? And and that's one of the you know when you put up your goals and objectives for spring practice, we want to make sure that when we leave spring practice that one of those guys uh, could go into a game. And if we've got to win the game with them, you know, we need to know what they can do and they need to know, you know, what the rest of the guys in hell need to know, hey, if this guy comes in, we're going to win the game because he can do this. And that's, uh, you know, one of the big objectives during the spring practice. All right, so just another thing I want to ask you about as far as the offensive side of the ball, Coach. Just some of your thoughts on two of your assistants and Rich Skrosky as offensive coordinator and offensive line coach Alan Mogridge. For those of you guys yeah. listening at home, the Panthers, they were number one in Conference USA in sacks allowed only picking up eight all of last season and, and also had the top-ranked offense in Conference USA. Uh, having a chance sure. to you know, be down the field pregame, we have to see Coach Mogridge. He's a very uh, intense, yeah. fiery guy. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a joy to watch him do his thing coaching down there. But, yeah, I just wanted to ask you just to talk about those guys and the impact they've had on the program. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to get a chance because I'm going to tell you, you don't you don't win games without having really, really good assistant coaches, and we're blessed. Uh, you, you talked about Rich Kroski, the quarterback coach, and Alan Mugridge, the offensive line coach. Uh, Alan does a phenomenal job. Alan was with me at North Carolina, and, and uh, so I know, you know, what he's going to bring to the table, the energy level, the preparation level. Uh, he's going to get the most out of kids. He's going to raise their expectations and how they play. Uh, some of the other guys that we have, and I'm going to tell you, I, I've been around a lot of really, really good coaches, but uh, Tim Harris, our running back coach, is phenomenal. Aubrey Harris, uh, Aubrey uh, Hill, our wide receiver coach, does a great job. I mean, this, those two guys, uh, my son, Drew Davis, 
coaches the tight ends for the last two years. He played quarterback at Ole Miss. And, um, and last year, you know, not to just brag on him because he's my son, but uh, he played three freshman tight ends last year. And uh, Sterling Palmer ended up being selected as the number one tight end after all of the bowl games. Um, I mean, he's got a huge, gigantic upside. He's a 6'6", 245-pound freshman last year that is probably going to be a 255. He, he's another kid that's going to play in the NFL. And, and um, you know, David O'Meara, who Drew coached as a, as a tight end, and Ivan Thomas, those three kids. And, and then they we signed a kid, Joe Hawker, that we referenced uh, that's a tight end from Cincinnati that's as good a, a good athlete at tight end as I think I've ever recruited. So, you know, they do a good job. Our running backs, I mean, you've watched our kids. I mean, I think, um, you know, they, they show up and they, there's not any weakness when they go into the game from blitz pickup to running to running routes to catching the ball. Uh, you know, Anthony Jones, who obviously was, you know, uh, you know, a miracle last year because he's the young man that unfortunately got shot on the drive by, but, uh, Napoleon Maxwell and Devontae Price and, and, uh, you know, we've got a good, good stable of running backs and, and they're very, very well coached. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very pleased with the direction that the offense is headed and the way that they continue to grow. All right, Coach, got two more quick questions for you really quick before we let sure. you get out of here. Um, just real quick, just to piggyback on as far as which Karofsky goes, you know, one of the things I've been able to see, you know, being with the team and covering them day in and day out is just how well that his offensive philosophies really fit the team. You know, you talk about quarterbacks, Alex Magoo and James Morgan couldn't be more polar opposites as far as Alex getting a chance to move his yep. legs in relation to James being more of a pocket passer. Can you just talk about, you know, just what his offensive philosophy kind of brings and how it's able to – be able to get the most out of two completely different quarterbacks and a lot of different players on the team as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Rich is like everybody should be as an offensive coordinator. How do you get the ball in the hands of the guys that can make plays and, uh, you know, and, and, and identifying what every kid's strengths are, uh, you know, let them play to their strength that, that if, if they're great inside zone runners, that's what they need to do. If they're if they're counter and power runners, that's what they need to do. And uh, you know, and then getting the ball in the hands of guys, you know, getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands. I mean, you know, there's a lot that goes into you reference the fact that Alan Mothers that we had eight sacks last year. And, you know, a lot of that is a combination of the receivers being in the right place and being open and getting open, the quarterback making the right reads and uh, getting either from the first read to the second read to the third read to the check down to whatever has to happen. Obviously, the offensive line's got to protect, but you can't, you know, I mean, you're not going to shut everybody out. There, there's going to be some pressure on the quarterback, but then it's the quarterback getting rid of the ball and getting it off to the to the check down people. So it's it's a little bit of everybody earns that opportunity to have a minimal amount of, of, of sacks. I mean, you look at Tom Brady and what he does at the New England Patriots and, you know, I mean, they, he is just so smart and he knows exactly what to do with the ball and where to go with it and, and, and learn to live to fight another day that it's not, you know, throw it into double coverage and run the risk of throwing a, a pick and, and turning the ball over and giving them field position. I mean, um, you know, 
if the drive ends in the kick, it's probably pretty good. You either kicked an extra point, a field goal, or a punt, and and you know, Rich does a great job of coaching those quarterbacks into doing that. I think that you know, Alex Magoo a year ago was a huge, gigantic beneficiary from from Rich's philosophies because he had had a history of it was about fifty fifty touchdowns to interception ratio, and then all of a sudden in one year. You know that those numbers shrunk enormously, and uh, and I think that that's what really helped Alex. Uh, you know, get drafted by the Seahawks. Coach, last thing before we let you get out of here is uh, I want to kind of bring the listeners in on the story post games. They can see you know a different side of you that we get lucky to see in post games. You no, know, mostly after a win, but you're not you're not too hard on us after a loss as well. But uh, here's the story I want to tell. Following the Rice game, Coach, you know, you, uh, for those of you guys listening at home, uh, FIU had a transfer linebacker by the name of Edwin Freeman who uh, came from the University of Texas. And, and Coach told the media that one of the things he liked to do for new players is ask them what their favorite meals are. And, and Ed responded that he likes African food. And, uh, and, and Coach Coach asked the press room if any of us were familiar with African food because he wasn't, you weren't necessarily up to speed on, on the latest African food. So my, my question is, were you able to find Ed some good African food down there in Miami? <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you, yeah. I mean, some of the other guys on the team had said, you know, here's, I mean, if anybody knows much about South Florida and certainly Dade County and Miami, uh, you know, I mean, there's absolutely, from an ethnic standpoint, from restaurants, I think there's probably about 80 different ethnic groups of, of restaurants that you can go find whatever kind of food. And, they, and somebody did come up with the name of a place. And because what we try to do sometimes is cater in you know, kids, uh, like a, maybe a Thursday night meal or something during the course of the week and stuff like that. And, and, uh, they were able to try to help Ed find a place that, uh, you know, that he could figure out, you know, what would be the best place to go for, for great African food and stuff. And, uh, and he was able to find some and, uh, and to, to follow up on that story for people that don't know, Ed ended up being the defensive player of the game in the bowl game. And, uh, I mean, um, you know, he, he came in here from the University of Texas and, uh, and, you know, wanted to get a, a master's degree and, and, uh, extend his playing, uh, career and stuff. And so he was, you know, it was a great addition to our football program. And we were very grateful that Ed, uh, came here and became a part of it and helped us win nine games. It shows you what the right people can do, right? <laughs> up for us. Uh, just want to say thanks again for taking the time to join us, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at FIU's Pro Day, and then looking forward to being there at the spring game as well and covering the team next year. And, you know, maybe we can get Joe down to South Florida and we can take you up on that offer. There you of, uh, go. Absolutely, guys. Absolutely. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity, and look forward to our next chance to get a chance to visit and talk about FIU football. Absolutely, Coach. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you so much. Have a good day, guys. Bye-bye. That is going to do it for us this week on another episode of the Underdog Podcast. I want to thank our guest once again, Coach Butch Davis. Excited to see what 2019 holds for the FIU Panthers. Thank you all so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a review. Help us grow. And, of course, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter if you want at a uh, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. And Eric is at... Eric C. Henry underscore. Uh, keep following along during the offseason as we continue to do this series where we do a deep dive into CUSA teams with some experts who know significantly more than us. Until then, uh, happy football watching, everybody.